Welcome to the Children Hamilton podcast. Both of y'all, we're, this is really exciting today. We get to talk about economic development, history of Rock Hill, like two of my favorite subjects. And of course, we have Stephen Turner, a former director of economic development for the city of Rock Hill. I want to make sure I'm getting that right. And Senator Wes Clymer. So a strong fill-in for our other guest host um, who can't be here today, yeah. um, Chip Hutchinson. So Thank you for coming in the last minute, man. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation, although I, I really uh, think that you you went deep down the bench <laughs> to replace Chip with me. Strong replacement. Well, we'll see. I'll do my best. Yet to be determined. Uh, well, Stephen, thanks for joining us today, man. I really appreciate it. And like I say, we get to talk about two subjects that are really fun, the history of Rock Hill, economic development, and I know specifically downtown. But before we do that, let's get into something a little bit. I want to know, and I, I want everyone else to know, what exactly, what does an economic development director do? What did you do for, was it 30 years, 20 years? How long were you with Rock Hill? 33 years. 33 years. So what did you do for 33 years? Um, I guess to, I would describe the job as um, uh, really trying to put Rock Hill on a path for economic success. When I started the job in the mid-1980s, uh, Rock Hill was a dying textile community and nobody had any answers. Um, and so over a period of a long time, um, we developed strategies and plans and had to get buy-in from the community, had to sell a lot of what people thought were crazy ideas um, to, in order to make the investments and to make the changes that were needed to put Rock Hill on the path for success. And I think we have absolutely turned the corner and Rock Hill is on a on a, an amazing growth spurt right now. You know, I, I think that's true. And I think people definitely take for granted the growth that occurs in Rock Hill, almost as if it's something that happens to us and not because of actions or activities from someone like you. But I want to paint that picture because people do take it for granted. Tell us more. What was the lay of the land like when you first came here? That would have been 1988, if I'm doing the math right. So uh, around there, 87. No, I was gone for a few years. So I, okay. I really started with the city as an intern in 1983, became okay. a full-time employee in 84, and became the first director of economic development department in about 88. So, um, and so when I came back to yeah. Rock Hill at that time, um, in 1979, 80, 81, the industrial mill had shut down. The Aragon mill had shut down. Uh, the bleachery was shedding thousands of jobs. Um, when you went up and down Cherry Road, which was the major commercial strip, the Davila Boulevard area did not exist at that point in time. Um, empty storefronts, boarded up buildings. I mean, it was a depressed community. It was, it was on the ropes. Um, and... You know, th that's why in 1983, the city and the chamber uh, came together. They recognized that something needed to be done. They didn't know what needed to be done, but that, that somehow something needed to be done and that the elected officials by themselves probably didn't have the weight to make it happen. And so they created an, a public-private nonprofit corporation, Rock Hill Economic Development, to take the charge and to lead that effort to bring economic vitality back to Rock Hill. So what does that mean? When you say bring economic, how, it, it's not as if you can wave a magic wand, no. especially in a community that was so depressed. Um, when you, and I, I want to continue to, to, to provide context here. When you talk about the industries that were collapsing and the jobs being lost, what did that mean to the citizens of Rock Hill at the time? And what percentage of, of people were employed in those industries? What was the tax base like? How, you know, how robust or diverse was it? 
Um, and what did it mean to the people who actually lost those jobs as they were shut down? Well, Rock Hill was a textile town, and there were 10 or so textile mills operating in Rock Hill. The largest of those was Rock Hill Printing and Finishing, known as the Bleachery. You know, at one point in time, the Bleachery had over 4,000 employees on one site in Rock Hill. And that was in 1960. Rock Hill was a town of about 25,000 people, and you had 4,000 people working um, in, on one site. So this was a textile town. It was a one-industry town. <clears throat> so when the textile industry started moving offshore, um, there wasn't anything to take its place. Um, you know, culturally in the city, the city had developed as a place where um, education wasn't terribly important. People could go through to, to school through eighth or ninth grade, drop out, go get it, go work at a textile mill, um, have, you know, have a good life. Um, you know, have a good job, make good money, go to the beach uh, for a couple of weeks every summer. Um, I mean, that was just the pattern of life that existed in a textile community at that time. And when the textile industry left, this community just was not positioned very well to, um, to attract other kinds of jobs and other kinds of businesses. I'm curious, what did... What was that like? I mean, you're obviously it's very daunting. So you're sitting there as you're young, you're working as an intern, you're you're working in a community that sounds obviously very depressed, you know, your words. And you're tasked with revitalizing an area. And this is the South and the South isn't what it is today. Charlotte is not what it is today. It wasn't really on anyone's map. Uh, it wasn't considered an emerging market. Rock Hill wasn't considered part of Charlotte. Rock Hill wasn't. Con- yeah. So how daunting was that task? And, and why did you even think that this was possible to, to rescue this town? What was the vision, I guess? I was young and foolish. <laughs> um, um, there, there wasn't a plan. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the Rocky Economic Development Corporation board came together, business leaders and elected officials and city manager, and started just looking for something, anything that could begin to make a difference. And so the first things we did were trying to, support the growth of of local businesses and so we were doing loan programs and actually we did an equity program where we were raised money to put equity into businesses in the community and the truth was that none of that was very effective i mean loaning money to businesses when the banks aren't willing to loan that same business that money is Doesn't not seem a, sustainable <laughs> yeah, it's not a, it's a, not a good place to be well, so, can, can I, what was the scale of these these programs, the the equity piece, the the lending piece. I mean, you well, know. you got to remember, you're talking in 1985 dollars, yeah. but um, I think the equity pool that we raised was about 250 thousand dollars, if I remember correctly, and the loans that we were making to businesses were, you know, in the hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar range. Um, many of those, some of those loans got repaid and were successful. I can remember. Um, Amida Industries that became, I can't remember, bought by a national company out in Rockland Industrial Park that does big lighting systems. Um, you know, some some good loans that helped local businesses grow, but a lot of the loans just never got repaid. Um, so that wasn't a real successful strategy. We, we, we tried that for a few years and, and moved on to other things. Ultimately, um, we, the, the first thing that we hit upon that was really successful was the idea that if Rock Hill was going to attract new businesses and new jobs, we had to have a place for those new businesses and jobs to locate. And 
the Rock Hill Industrial Park had been created back in the 1960s. Um, but it was really the only industrial park, and it was kind of a metal building park, not the kind of high, by the 1980s, you know, a lot of businesses looked at that park and said, that's not the kind of environment that we want to grow our business in. Now, are we talking about the area around York Tech where the... No, I'm talking about Rockville Industrial Park that's on Mount Gallant Road. Mount Gallant, yep. Yep. Okay. Um, and so uh, the, the first really successful program was the Airport Industrial Park. Uh, the city owned land adjacent to the airport that was not required uh, for future airport operations. And so the city basically donated that land to for the development of a business park, 100 acres or so. We were able to get uh, federal grants to help support the development of roads and utilities in that park. And the city made, city council at that time made a, um, what I think was a very, very wise and forward-thinking decision. They said that um, as the land at the airport industrial park was sold, that the, pro- the net proceeds of the sale of the, of the land would go to Rock Hill Economic Development Corporation to create a fund for new investments. And so that was sort of the pattern that, that Rock, Hill Industri- Rock Hill Economic Development Corporation took profits from, uh, from the airport industrial park and invested those at Tech Park, which was the second business park. The one that you're referring to, um, you know, Tech Park was on fail on land that had belonged to J.P. Stevens as part of the industrial mill that's there on Dave Law Boulevard. Um, so we took um, land from an old textile mill and converted it into a modern business park. How appropriate? Yep. Um, income from Tech Park led us to the development of Waterford Business Park. Uh, where Rockville Economic Development at that point went out and acquired um, over $3 million worth of land um, to develop a business park. And uh, the city created one of the first tax increment districts um, in South Carolina to help fund the development of that park. So the city used TIF from the the growth of the Galleria area at that time Mm -hmm. to help fund all the infrastructure. Again, created what has become an extremely valuable business park with thousands of jobs, uh, some great businesses located out there. And so that sort of set the pattern. For a long time, uh, Rock Hill Economic Development Corporation's primary business activity was the development of business parks. Mm -hmm. And that was probably true until about about 2000. And in, in 2000, Rock Hill... From outward appearances was a growing, healthy, prosperous community. We were increasingly tied to Charlotte. We had become a bedroom community to Charlotte at that time. A lot of commuting was taking place. Um, But all of the growth and development that was occurring in Rock Hill was out on the periphery. Um, uh, Dave Law Boulevard, the Galleria area, had developed during the 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, Selenese Road was was booming. Um, Cherry Road was not so much booming, but was still a a vital um, commercial corridor. But all the growth, all the new residential development, uh, the hospital had driven a whole lot of development on the northwestern side of town. Nothing had happened in the center of town where the textile mills had been located. So the center of town was just, just one after another of abandoned textile mill sites and rundown neighborhoods declining neighborhoods, unemployed people without skills that, that to, to enable them to get new jobs. 
And, you know, so the, the, the core of the apple was rotten. Hmm. And so at that point in time, we made the decision that we really needed to bring the community's attention back to the center of town. We needed to begin developing strategies for bringing jobs and growth and investment and prosperity back to the center of Rock Hill. So we're sitting here in 2022. This is only 20 years ago. And, and, you know, some people, that seems like a long time. That's just not very long. 20 years ago, downtown Rock Hill, the center of the city, was derelict. uh, And all these textile mill sites were vacant. Um, So we began a a program to shift the focus to the downtown area. Uh, Initially, it was known as Old Town. Uh, We had to give it a name. Um, uh, Eventually, it became Knowledge Park. We, we branded it as an extension of our business park programs. We wanted people to think of it as a, as a place that was designed to attract jobs and businesses. Um, and over a period of years, and it was not a quick process, um, you know, and we developed the first plan for the bleachery area in 2003-04. Um, we created the first text. Uh, tax increment district to support the redevelopment of the downtown and the bleachery area in 2004. Um, uh, you know, the, the bleachery sat there, a, a local developer bought the bleachery, had, had great hopes of being able to redevelop it, but between the time they bought it in 2003 and 2010, nothing had happened on that site other than some devastating fires. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2010, the city stepped in and bought the bleachery site. Mm-hmm. And that was really, I mean, since that time, it's been nothing but, you know, but demonstrable progress. I mean, when the, when the first businesses opened on the bleachery site, I think in 2017 or 18, uh, when Fountain Park opened in 2015 or 16, um, it changed people's perceptions of the downtown. They stopped seeing it as that old, dead, run-down part of the city and saw it as a place of opportunity where new things were happening, where events were happening. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges, um, we're going to, I think, talk about um, downtown and Main Street. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest challenges is that um, for a generation or two, um, people who grew up in Rock Hill, who moved to Rock Hill from other places, never knew of a downtown that offered anything for them. They didn't come downtown. There was nothing here for them. And so changing people's perceptions, changing their lifestyles, changing the, you know, changing the downtown in such a way that people want to come there and want to be part of what's happening there. It's a chicken and the egg question. Yeah. I mean, how do you get people to come into a downtown where there's no businesses, where there's no activities, where there's nothing to do. And on the other hand, how do you attract those businesses and activities when there are no people? Um, so it, it's been a challenge, and it's taken a lot of time and a lot of work. But, you know, we're there now, and we're just seeing the fruits of, of all that work that are now taking place in Rock Hill. So yeah. as, you, as you think back to that, you know, I guess 22 years ago when – uh, the the downtown area of Old Town turned into Knowledge Park. I mean, what what were the? Uh, you know, can you isolate a couple catalysts that solved the chicken egg problem? Um, a couple of things. One is that um, uh, 
we had to find a way to get people back into the downtown and people who'd never been downtown and had no positive associations to the downtown. We had to create traffic. And so the events, um, you know, whether it be Christmasville or Red, White, and Boom or the concert series or the St. Patrick's Day event or the Oktoberfest events, we just started programming the heck out of downtown. Um, and it was just a, a way to manufacture um, traffic an activity in a marketplace where there was none. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, over a period of years, um, uh, you know, businesses started seeing that traffic as an opportunity. For a long time, um, those events, I mean, for the few retail businesses that existed in downtown Rock Hill, those events in downtown were the lifeline that kept those businesses afloat. Um, so, you know, it was a it was a long term strategy, but you know, it paid off. So backing up a little bit, you had another chicken and egg problem when you were first overcoming the inertia of the Malays era and you talked about developing the industrial parks around the periphery of Rock Hill. And that certainly solved the supply problem where all of a sudden you had site inventory available for, for these businesses to move into. How did you solve the demand problem? Where it, Because it's certainly not a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. It, it takes a little bit more than that. What did you do during that time to overcome that inertia? Um, well, that's a challenge. Uh, we're in the Charlotte market, um, and we identified ourselves very early on for, for as, as being in the Charlotte market and being in we're trying to appeal to businesses that have first chosen Charlotte as a good place for their businesses to locate. And then to make ourselves to put the the case out there that we are the best place in the Charlotte region for your business to locate. The advantages that we had was that even back in the eighties and nineties, it was big real estate firms that controlled those business parks in Charlotte. Um, If you wanted to go in and lease a building, um, that Trammell Crow had built, that Childers Klein had built, there were plenty of opportunities for that. If you wanted to, to go in and own your own business, to buy a piece of land and build a 100,000-square-foot building for your business to operate, there weren't very many opportunities for that in Mecklenburg County. So that was really how we, the, the, the part of the market that we tried to appeal to, that, that you could come to York County, South Carolina, you could come to Rock Hill, you could buy land for a reasonable price, um, you could own your own uh, real estate and grow your own business without the challenge of, of having to, to lease property through a developer. Hmm. I'm kind of glad both of y'all are here for this question. So how, does, how has Act 388 impacted the ability to bring businesses across the border into, in, from Charlotte or elsewhere into Rock Hill or York County? And tell us a little bit about what incentives are and, and how you might going, go about bringing businesses into this area. Okay. Well, for those, Act, act 388 was a, an act that um, basically eliminated uh, property taxes for homeowners, mm-hmm. um, but in essence made then commercial taxes, taxes on businesses, the only source of, only source of, of tax revenues that like school districts could control themselves. And so it put much, much more pressure on commercial property owners and business park property owners. Um, 
that is so so as the school district was growing and needing to build new schools and hire new teachers and all that kind of stuff the only opportunity they had for raising new revenues to do that was to raise property taxes on businesses so that was one problem that is further compounded by the um, south carolina's tax structure which on the surface taxed businesses at two and a half times the rate of of residential pro- of, of homeowners and so if you looked on paper at what the tax rates were for businesses for manufacturers in south carolina um, they were preposterous no business would ever have located in south carolina and paid those kind of taxes. Yeah, manufacturing is a separate category altogether. altogether at, oh yeah, ten percent. Yeah, it was at ten and a half percent. Ten and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the property tax rates were just preposterous. We were further challenged by the fact that our business parks are all located inside the city of Rock Hill. So another layer. So another layer of property taxes. And so, I think what people don't really understand uh, when they see um, news reports about incentives and so forth is that in South Carolina, in York County, in Rock Hill, incentives are simply a means of leveling the playing field. If we did not have incentives available to reduce the tax burden on businesses, it would be very, very difficult. It would to, be all bedrooms. Yeah, it'd be all, we would be all residential. And so Act 388, the other part of that is that Act 388 increase the incentives for Rock Hill and York County to become bedroom communities to Charlotte. It became much cheaper to own a home in York County than in Mecklenburg County, much, much more expensive to own a business in York County and Rock Hill than in Charlotte. So we're incentivizing growth the, 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 with residential growth, but we're, we're disincentivizing economic it was growth. Dis, it's a terrible piece of legislation. Yeah. What does that mean? When you have a, when you have a incentive structure that works against what many would consider a, a healthy tax base. How does that manifest? What's the reality then? Does that mean more costs on, on the residential homeowners? You know, if, if for, in other words, if we weren't bringing, if we weren't offering these incentives to bring businesses in and we were just relying on our default tax yeah. code, what would that mean to people who actually lived here? Um, it means that we would have a very feeble school system, uh, that residential property uh, owners would be bearing the cost of all the public services because we would not have a robust commercial tax base that also supports local government services. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Residential property tax uh, taxes are just not sufficient. I mean, you'd be looking at, if, if we did not have a robust commercial property tax base in York County, you'd be looking at residential property taxes having to double or triple from where they are right now to make up the difference. Would you say that's one of the major goals of having an economic development program at the municipal or county or state level is to ensure that that doesn't happen? In other words, what's the, what's the point of the enterprise? Well, I think that's a, an important part of it. I think in a more broad and general sense, um, you know, we all live in this community. We're all part of this community. We want our community to be health, healthy. We want our community to, to have good schools and good opportunities for our families. Um, the point of economic development is to create the economic environment that, that, that manifests itself in, the, in healthy schools, healthy communities, uh, great opportunities for families and so forth. Um, so you, you can't take it for granted that... Um, 
when you move to a community that it's going to be that kind of community unless there's an environment where new businesses are investing and new jobs are being created. It, it, it's dawning on me as listening to this story. So in the eighties, there was, you know, famously a lot of macro growth, but in Rock Hill, we kind of missed out on that at the micro level. We were involved in an, or very dependent upon an industry that didn't fail, but moved elsewhere. Um, in the latest downturn, sort of the inverse was true. There was a lot of macro risk and downturn, but you know, this community continued to thrive largely because of the robust and diverse tax base that was built over the last 30 years or 20 years prior to that. Um, how, I guess, I guess I just want confirmation of that. How true is that? And, and how important is a diverse tax base to insulating a local area from macro downturn? Well, it, each macro downturn is different. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's kind of hard to, to say, I mean, it's certainly having having a robust having a robust and diverse tax base, where you're not dependent on a single industry like the textile industry, or like it, just financial services, or financial <laughs> services. It certainly does provide some insulation. That that is, you know, hopefully this community will never ever be in a position again where we have a single industry that we're dependent on. Mm -hmm. um, so it really does insulate the community, but it doesn't mean that we're not still subject to. Uh, the winds of the economy uh, in the future. Yeah. Um, well, I know we brought some slides I want to get to while, while we're here. So and I, they're, I think they're related specifically to downtown. I'm, these are blind or I'm going in blind. These are new to me too. So okay. can you kind of walk us through some of these, Stephen? I know this sure. is part of the story. So, All right. Well, um, this is a picture of downtown Rock Hill back in the 1950s. And this was a traditional downtown. Um, it's Mayberry-ish. Um, surrounded by textile mills, supported by the textile industry. It was a healthy, growing downtown. There were All the retail in the community was located in the downtown area. Um, then, next slide. Here's uh, just another picture of, of that era. Traffic. Yeah, traffic in downtown. If you go back and look in the city council minutes from the 1960s, um, you know, the, the the lack of parking was the big issue. How do we get people in and out of downtown? Because there's just so much demand for people to be in the downtown. Um, then in the late 60s, um, suburban commercial development began happening in Rock Hill. Um, the Beatty Shopping Center, which is now the Winthrop Commons, was the first suburban shopping center developed in Rock Hill. Um, the Rock Hill Mall, out where Publix is on Cherry Road, opened in, I think, 1968. Um, and as a result of that suburban commercial development, businesses started moving out of the downtown, retail businesses. So um, J.C. Penney moved from downtown Rock Hill out to the mall. Um, lots of other smaller retails moved out. And so the city leaders at that time saw the trend, saw what was happening, and said, you know, we've got to do something to save our downtown. Their solution was um, based on the idea that if these businesses wanted to be in a mall, then by God, we'd give them a mall in downtown Rock Hill. And at that point in time, that point in time I mean, downtown's Rock, uh, Rock Hill's downtown was approaching 100 years old. Many of the businesses um, and the buildings were old and had been run down. And so this was an era where new and modern was, was valued above all else. And so 
Rock Hill embarked on an urban renewal program that involved tearing down much of the downtown and then converting what was left of Main Street into a mall. And so this image shows the demolition of Trade Street. Trade Street is what was the predecessor to Dave Lyle Boulevard. There was, there was another street of downtown buildings that was demolished in the early 1970s um, as part of, a, as part of the, the development of Dave Lyle Boulevard. Um, this is the construction of, uh, of, shows the construction of the new mall. This is the, at the corner of Dave Lyle Boulevard and Black Street. Um, uh, you can see, uh, man, this is, this is Main Street, uh, where the mall was being built in the middle of Main Street with a, a bank building anchoring the end of the mall in the center of Main, what had been Main Street uh, at Dave Lyle Boulevard. Um, this aerial view that shows the area that was covered by the mall. And you can see in that image, if you look real closely, what should be a street with cars and people and sidewalks is now a roof with air conditioning units on the top of it. I mean, this is an audacious move. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, it, wasn't, it was certainly the city leaders at that time. I mean, I think they chose the wrong solution. But certainly their desire and commitment to seeing the downtown be successful can't be faulted. Right, it was sure. an audacious plan. Yeah. Um, and here really you can see the, the building that was in the middle of Main Street. You see the mall and the buildings on Main Street. And so for the mall opened in about 1977, 78. What was there? The, the big building at the end there. South Carolina National Bank was the headquarters. Uh, that was there, Rock Hill. Uh, office, and the that was my first job with the city. Um, was in that building. The city's planning department was in that building. Wow, oh, that was S. Uh, forgive my uh, maybe my ignorance on banking history, but was SCNB one of the predecessor banks to? I think South Carolina National Bank probably became part of First Union, which became Wachovia, which became Wells Fargo. Yeah, okay. I think. So if you were in front of Jimmy John's in downtown Rock Hill today and you were looking down Main Street, this is what you would see. It's the entrance to Town Center Mall. Uh, you came down to that intersection at Hampton Street. You were forced to take a left and drive around. There was no, the, the rest of the street was a mall. This was the interior of the mall. And so you see all the old storefronts were still there, but you could only see them at the ground level. Uh, next slide. The interior of the mall was intentionally kind of dimly lit so that the light would be coming out of the stores and presumably, you know, draw your eye into the stores. Uh, my, my strongest memory of it's a little the, cavernous. <laughs> yeah. My strongest memory of the of Town Center Mall is the smell. Um, these buildings are hundred year old buildings and they all had hundred year old crawl spaces that had vents. Um, onto Main Street. And so when you put a roof on it and enclose it all, all of those stale, moldy gases that are coming up from the basements of those buildings are just coming up into the mall. So you walked into the mall and you just hit with this moldy smell. And it's dark. And it's dark. <laughs> um, um, people You're not describing the most pleasant shopping it was, experience. It wasn't pleasant. So, so, and there's the South Carolina National Bank building. The, the mall was, let's say, modestly successful for a few years. I mean, Belk kept a store in downtown Rock Hill. They opened a new store at the Rock Hill Mall. 
but they kept a new they kept a store in downtown Rock Hill from the opening of the mall in '78 until around maybe for about 10 years before they they shut down the downtown store. But when Belk shut down the downtown store, the handwriting was on the wall. Um, it had failed. This was this was a project that was designed to create a retail center by malls. Think about malls. Malls only house retail businesses. You don't see offices. You don't see residences going into malls. And so by building this as a mall, they had limited the use of all of these buildings to retail use. Mm-hmm. And as the market changed, as big box retail started in the 80s and 90s, um, there was no way that Rock Hill could support hundreds of thousands of square feet of retail space in downtown Rock Hill. So it was just doomed to fail. And you can see from a historic standpoint, the historic Main Street had just disappeared. When you were down in that mall, you had no sense that you were in a historic downtown. You could not see the facades of those buildings. You had no sense of it. This is the uh, People's National Bank building where the Children's Museum uh, is today. Um, These buildings were used at the ground floor level only for the retail Upper floors of these buildings, all the buildings are two, three, four, five stories tall. The upper levels of these buildings were all just rotting away. They were just had become pigeon coops, and literally pigeons with piles of pigeon crap um, in those buildings. They were pretty nasty. This is a building where the uh, art center is today. And you, you just, yeah, next. Okay, so in the city made, again, got to remember, Town Center Mall opened in 77 or 78. We're now in the early 90s. Um, it's only been, it's been 15 years or less since Town Center Mall um, was opened. Um, and the city council, the city manager, the elected officials have to face this very, very difficult admission that they made a mistake. And again, it's not all the same people. A lot of the people have elected officials have moved on, but still, you're you know 15 years past the opening of this, and you've issued bonds and you've made financial commitments, and it has failed. And it's a very very hard decision to make. So the community went through a process. You probably heard of a process back in the 90s called empowering the vision. And one of the things that came out of empowering the vision was the idea that Town Center Mall had to go. Um, that the community had to restore its downtown to a historic form. So that image was actually the raise the roof party. We had a, before the con- demolition of the mall began, we had a party, a community to, uh, community event to invite everybody down to celebrate the demolition of the town center mall. And Betty Jo Ray was the mayor at that time. She got on a little tractor and knocked down a little wall that we had set up for her <laughs> um, to demonstrate the, you know, the demolition that was starting. So this is after the mall roof has, has been removed and you know, there was no curb or gutter or drainage systems or sidewalks or lighting. There was nothing left there of a street. So all of that had to be rebuilt from the ground up. Uh, you can see in that picture that the SCN Bank building was still there in the middle of the street when we started the demolition of the mall. Um, we didn't have a solution. That was still an active. It was one of the newest buildings in Rock Hill. Um, it's not, still, not a small one. Not a small one. And it still had tenants in it. And, you know, we just didn't have a solution for that. So we were built, going to reopen Main Street and run Main Street around that SCN bank building. Uh, during the course of the construction or the demolition and reconstruction of Main Street, that building 
uh, got into the developer of that building, got into a financial crisis, and it allowed the city to buy that building at a price that made it possible to knock it down. So as a second phase of this project, um, the SEN Bank building was knocked down and the Main Street was connected all the way through. You can see, just looking at those buildings, there is no life or activity in those buildings. Oh. Those are dead buildings. It's like a Scooby-Doo ghost town. <laughs> yeah, those are dead buildings. And so one of the big challenges when Main Street reopened was that it was a ghost town. I mean, you had gone through, I mean, the development of the mall, the mall fails, businesses are moving out, the decisions made to demolish the mall. The mall is demolished. You go through two or three more years of construction. No business could survive all that. And so when Main Street reopened in, 19, in 1996, it was a ghost town. Yeah. You could lay down in the middle of the street. You're p- perfectly safe. Um, uh, businesses did start coming back, and the first union became the uh, anchor tenant of what was the old um, – uh, I can't even think of the name of that building right now. But it became an anchor tenant. So there was some new development that began. Were you involved in the discussions to bring first union oh, yeah. back downtown? Yep. What was the pitch? Come, Come – Sign a lease here where we don't have anybody. I mean, how do you overcome the objections there? Well, um, I didn't. I mean, that was a de- the developer of that building who, who mm-hmm. made that pitch. Um, but I think it was it was a uh, first union was in the downtown. They had recently acquired two or three other banks that were in the downtown. Um, they needed a fresh new face. Uh, they were new to our community as first union. They were relatively new to our community, so. This was an opportunity for them to put their stamp and show that, you know, what a community asset they were going to be by being one of the first businesses to recommit to downtown Rock Hill. Were they almost a little naive about what downtown Rock Hill had become? Probably. That probably helped a little bit. (laughs) Um, You see, this is the the transformation of the Center for the Arts, uh, the the Rock Hill Economic. Part of the story here that I didn't mention was that – that downtown Rock Hill became so derelict, so destitute that, um, you know, as, as the city council had committed to, to tear out the mall and rebuild the street, the question came, you know, if we do this and reopen this street and we spent millions of dollars to reestablish our main street, the main street reopens and there are no businesses here. There's nothing. The voters are going to kill us. Yeah. Um, we cannot let that happen. We've got to do something to try and bring some jobs and businesses back into the downtown simultaneously with the reopening of the street. So um, Rock Hill Economic Development Corporation went out and began trying to acquire a few buildings. Maybe we could acquire two or three buildings on one corner where we could try to attract some development to two or three buildings. Well, as it turned out, as we got out there and started talking to property owners, everybody wanted and so Rock Hill Economic Development Corporation, with the support of the city, ended up acquiring about 29 buildings in downtown Rock Hill. We, we owned almost the entire downtown um, when the street reopened and then began the process of, re- of selling those buildings back to private owners. We sold the first union building um, back to the developer there who and, and we did that in such a way that we sold those buildings cheap so that people would come in and redevelop those buildings and put new things in. But we also did it to make sure, in a way, to make sure that people were going to de- redevelop those buildings the right way. And let's be clear, there was a lot of risk being assumed by those developers coming in because, as you said, it was a ghost town. It was. So, again, I don't know. 
you know, obviously there's people who just have faith in, in the, in the future in the trajectory of, of Rock Hill and the town, but was it difficult to, was that pitch difficult? Was it difficult to bring people in to turn these buildings over to encourage investment in an area where there were very few people living there, there were fewer people coming into downtown for any reason? Absolutely. It was hard. That's again, we talked earlier about the events as a way of creating artificial traffic or manufacturing traffic in the downtown yeah. so that retail businesses could see some opportunity and some potential in this area. It took years. And somewhere in all this mix is the uh, renovation and expansion, beautification maybe, of the city hall. Um, yeah, the city hall project happened in, I think, the first phase of the new city hall opened in about 88 or 89. Um uh, but the entire complex there was completed in the early 90s, 92 or 93. So this is shortly after the roof came down, um, like concurrent, roughly. Yeah, uh, actually actually happened just a little bit before. Probably the whole city hall complex was opened in 92 or 93, okay. and then the demolition of the mall began probably in 94. So the city was substantially invested in this portion of the of they the were. town, and yep. so did that with some of those those early stage investors. Was your presence was the you know municipalities significant and you know nice presence there? Yeah, I certainly, mean, I, certainly I, had to play a big role. If the city had had, if the, I mean, it was not uncommon to hear business leaders in the community when the when the when the plans for rebuilding Main Street and all the money that that was going to take were on the table for discussion. Business leaders in the community, I mean, not all of them, but some, we just need to raise all this. There's, you know, there's no hope for this. There's no, you know, we, we can't make this successful. We should stop trying. Um, and so certainly without the really steadfast support of the city and the city council and the elected officials, it couldn't have happened. It's quite a story. And again, once you, if you're downtown now and you see the event centered, you see the businesses, you see the restaurants opening, I've lost track of how many restaurants have opened. Um, and that development is continuing down Oakland Avenue with, you know, new attractions opening there. You have the Saluda quarter now and corridor now. So you see the development, you know, in the future going that direction. Um, I think it's just so important that we share this story so people understand that none of this just happened. Just, no, it did it, not just happen. And it took civic mindedness. It took sacrifice. It took audaciousness and, and admissions of failure. It took the the willingness of, of the citizens to back certain projects that were, again, audacious in scope um, in, in the face of recent failure. And so I'm sure there was a lot of cynicism about anything that was undertaken at the time. You have private developers that have to almost take your word that, hey, it's coming, and then believe that they can go get tenants for distressed properties in a distressed town. To what degree has Rock Hill become a model for the same sort of story in other towns? Do you see people coming into Rock Hill now saying, hey, how, how in the world did y'all do it? And tell us how to do it. Well, I'm, you know, a year and a half out of working for the city. But yeah, when I, we were hosting other communities on a regular basis who wanted to come in here and see what, what we had done, how we had done it. Um, so yeah, I think it is a model. Um, you know, you see the same thing happening 
um, in other communities. It's, I mean, you know, there is a return to downtown. There is a return to urban living um, around the country. Uh, so Rock Hill certainly has benefited from that. But I think that we have, we were, we came from a different place, a deeper hole than other communities. We started at a different place. And so I think we have, um, we've much, moved much further uh, in our evolution as a town than other communities who didn't start quite as bad off as we were. Yeah. Well, Wes, do you have anything else you want to ask or add? I mean, we've covered a lot of territory today. And, we did. Uh, Stephen, thank you for your, uh, for your service to the community and yeah. for giving us an opportunity to uh, hear your hear the story. Well, it's exciting to see it continue to unfold. And I just, um, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg now. Well, um, as someone who moved into the area in 2002 and who, pl- and who does raise children here and hope that my children will raise children here, I'm grateful for what you did and for what the the leaders of this community did. So thank you, not just for being here today, for the last 30 years of service. Well, thank you. Yep.